With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. baseball like to assess fashion even though even though they have terrible fashion so it's like most of the people that have opinions on jerseys like i don't i don't really care what they have to say yeah yeah you've written about this oh wow i've just seen that drill changed his name on twitter to irish Hogman. wow Who? <laughs> drill <laughs> irish Hogman. wow i feel <laughs> I like how his pin and, tweet from 2008 is just no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna st- I'm gonna change all of my all of my Zoom everything I log on to oh, video calls is gonna sh- be Irish Hogman. He cha- you should honestly he changed it to lose his blue check mark. Did they give it back to him again? I, yeah, I, I dude, they won't stop. A, I hate that this is a whole fucking thing. I can't believe he said, "Oh no, I accidentally changed my name and lost my blue check mark again." Now people will think I'm a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> capital Capital V version too. Of course. <laughs> Should we leave this in? <laughs> oh, I forgot Craig's in here. Yeah, today, <laughs> we're, we're good to go. He came in today very went, aggressively. I went to. <laughs> A doctor's appointment today <laughs> and my my doctor is like uh asking a bunch of questions and she's like 
are you sexually active? And I laughed and I was like, nah. (laughs) 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 I was like, regrettably, no. And she's like, do you need like a, do do you want to get like STDs checked, whatever? And I was like, I don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm in the clear. (laughs) That's Uh, really funny. (laughs) God damn it. This guy does not fuck. <laughs> is that how how we should like sequence through everything? <laughs> who fucks and who doesn't? Bryce Harper <laughs> fucks Jacob Degrom. Um, not clear. Mm. <laughs> mm. Bryce Harper came back yesterday. He, I think the, I think the the number of days that he spent on the aisles like oh, sorry uh, number of days post-surgery was 160 he got tommy john i'm glad both of you are speechless yeah. so I'm, I'm just thinking damn bryce I, I can't make any assumptions but bryce really went and got tj and recovered and is playing mlb games before before mikey got the cheeks SMH. Holy fuck. That's true. Probably. I don't know for sure. Based on like the timeline of when your doctor would be interested in, that probably seems accurate. That's that's what I had to stop and think about. Like, how long are they asking about really when they ask that question? Like, what does that mean? But anyway. Listen, fellas. (laughs) I think that's HIPAA. This is, in this case, legitimately HIPAA. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah, it might be. So we'll leave it at that. But anyways, uh, again, is- anyways, Bryce Harper's back. He's really good. I don't Ooh. think there's much there's much else to say beyond other than he came back from TJ after a little over five months. It's kind of crazy. I mean... Uh- Ben Clemens like says in his lead like initially they were pretty optimistic about when he would be back and they were less optimistic than what he actually did um I don't know leave it to to I almost said Bryce Miller Bryce Harper we'll talk about Bryce Miller to do this I mean I I remember being in like eighth grade and and hearing about like a 16 year old kid, you know, hitting like 400 foot bombs with wood bats or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's exciting. I think the, you know, the, the Phillies have not been particularly good. Um, and I'm excited for them to have him now. Um, I don't know. Baseball is just better with, Bryce Harper included. So yeah, pretty, pretty insane. I don't know how you do this. Even if you spend money like on your body, like LeBron, like how? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I was surprised that he didn't even have the, the primary repair procedure procedure, which is the other thing that pitchers sometimes have where like they don't actually have to take some other um, ligament from other part of your body. I don't know. Remember where it is. They usually take it from and and stick it into your elbow. They could actually just go directly in and 
and and sew up the the ligament directly, which usually takes, I think, at least a few months off of the pitcher's standard rehab. But I'm just surprised for a guy whose swing is as explosive and as powerful as it is that he's like that seems just very unlikely that he should be able to do that like 150 days after having everything having it cut open you know it's it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty wild i don't know i'm um I, he is playing first base of course he's not going to be not really going to be throwing the ball mm. and it will be interesting i mean Essie, are you going to keep an eye on his swing to see if there's any potential like do you see that there might be some i don't know potential risks to coming back a little bit too early potentially in terms of messing up his swing i think that's what people were worried about last year when he came back from his wrist injury but i don't know he probably is so in touch with his swing that this isn't a concern for him and i think one of their beat reporters was saying that and he's been facing minor leaguers in his live at bats and other rehabbing pitchers and he's just been dominating them so i don't even think that that's a concern for them yeah I guess Shohei Shohei also DH'd his pretty much entire rookie year after he tore his UCL, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, can't clearly clearly isn't necessarily that much of a an inhibition. But yeah, no, good to see him. Good to see him back. He's he's probably not going to get in the outfield this year, though, is he? Is is that the plan? No, I think it is the plan. Uh, I think the first base mm-hmm. sites are in the like multiple weeks to month timeline and then outfield is further beyond that yeah how did he initially hurt his his arm i don't know i'm honestly i wonder i'm not sure if it had anything to do with his wrist injury but he also might have torn it during the playoffs yeah i don't know if it was like an acute thing where there was like a play where he came up hurt. I can't remember mm. or if it was something that might have just, you know how that happens sometimes, like nothing is wrong on the field and then you see, oh, so-and-so is going for an MRI. Oh, you're not seeing them till next year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, good to have him back. And on the other side of things, I guess, you know what? We have not, we're on episode five right now and we have never once introduced like the name or lack thereof. <laughs> it just The name of what? The podcast. Yes, no, I know. Podcast. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, I think we did in the first episode. No, I've, maybe. Hey, yeah, maybe for a second. It's on the title, I guess. If you're like looking at the screen, you see it. So, well, we'll name it later. It, it, it will. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, okay, I have a question. So yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. What happens first? We name the podcast, <laughs> or Jacob Degrom returns from the IL. I thought you were going to say (laughs) we name it or I fuck. (laughs) No, that's where where I thought this was going. I'm not going to lie. That's dear God, please. (laughs) What if they're intertwined? He's not going to be that ruthless, are you? (laughs) What if if for one to happen, the other needs to happen? Mm, Like they're directly related. (laughs) I'm downloading, downloading Bumble right now. As we speak. Okay, but do, do either of you have an answer to the DeGrom question? Oh, I mean... Uh, I don't remember I'm, what it was. Kind of, for, for lack of... I don't know, I sound dumb, but I'm almost just a little bit of 
a little bit tired of the <laughs> the injuries, man. I feel for the Mets fans because it's just kind of annoying to watch and observe as a fan of baseball and good pitching. <laughs> it's this man for three years has just been, well, I guess like two years and, and the change from this year, but has just been striking out 40 plus percent of hitters and, and th- walking three and a half percent. Like just like, you know, <laughs> one of the best pitchers of all time and just can't like, you know, is pitching less and less over time. Um, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting. Cause like, for a long stretch was, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a Mets fan, so maybe I, I missed things that happened in the seasons where he only pitched 140 innings. But uh, it's hard to think that with, you know, three going on three years of this happening, that at age 35, he starts to get healthier. So... I think I forget who framed it this way, but I think this is just, you know, this is what was built into the contract. This is what you're getting with DeGrom is like when you have him, he's going to be unreal, but you're probably mostly not going to have him. Um, I don't know why. I think we talked about this, but I don't know why the Rangers set up their roster the way that they did. Um, <laughs> literally, I mean, it's literally built like strictly of free agent signings and also like i think pretty much strictly guys who have dealt with like have pronounced injury histories um and are all at least 31 so i don't know what they're doing over there but um and yet and yet but also i think that's kind of what the issue is is like I never doubted that they were not going to be good. But I think their offense is probably playing over their heads right now. And they don't have a good bullpen, I don't think. And I don't think their rotation is going to stay healthy. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Already Mm -hmm. four guys, four starters hurt. So I I think they will not be in first place in the AL West for long. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Uh, they definitely have some good hitters. Like Jonah Heim is definitely good. Um, Josh Young definitely good. Nathaniel La- Nathaniel Lowe. Well, this one this one's low. <laughs> I, I caught it though. I caught it. Yeah, Nathaniel Lowe and Adelis Garcia were two really good trades that they made that have worked out in their favor. So they have a group on offense that is like based that are from good decisions or good development. And then they've supplemented it with what the very injury prone Corey Seager and then the very good Marcus Semyon. So I like their offense for sure, but every everything else is pretty scary. I'm I'm still I'm looking. Dane Dunning has a 1.77 ERA for them in 20 and a third innings. Eight games out of the pen, 20 and a third innings. He has 11 strikeouts, only 12 hits. God, that makes me sad. He's good. I think he's good. I'm I fall maybe in between you two. I guess I think 
I liked what they had going into the season. If too many guys get hurt, like with most teams, they are going to fall all the way through the basement because they don't really have a contending team's depth. Um, I like some of the names in the bullpen enough and some of their depth starters just enough that I can buy them. I'll buy them staying in the playoff picture this year for sure. I mean, I'm not sure... I feel like I can't really judge judge yet. Not to make this a referendum on on the ALS, but I, I, that's the hardest division for me for me to gauge right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers finished up at like seventy five wins again, or if they picked up a little bit of steam, maybe make some more moves and end up at like ninety ninety whatever wins. Um, and we'll see if you know Degrom hopefully puts himself in a position to be back for a stretch run that actually matters. It kind of sucks when something like that happens and you get to see him back in August or September and they're not really pitching for anything because the team stinks and everyone's been traded away and the season is over. No one wants to see that, but man, I just, people have, uh, I've said this in various places too. I, I just kind of wish he hadn't started throwing that hard. He, I, like, no, it's what's it's his, definitely uh, valid. Like like what's his name? I'm gonna read that that I'm gonna read that tweet that I sent to you earlier last week. Um I'm not sure I, I, I like I agree with this mostly. Some things I can't say for sure, but um Mikey, do you know Mario, Pat's friend? Um Yeah. Rocky's guy. Mm-hmm. So he, he tweeted a couple a few days ago, um DeGrom was the best pitcher in the world after 2019 and got greedy. Simple as that. No reason he should have pushed his velocity so high, so max effort all the time. His body body has been telling him this for years now. So I I can't, you know, speak to getting greedy or anything like that, but I I think the sentiment there I'm kind of, I'm with. Like, he 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 was the best in the world throwing 97 with, you know, command of, with a great slider at 90, 91, and three great, two other great secondary pitches. I I think like you probably end up with a more valuable pitcher if, you know, knocking off those extra two, three miles an hour where you're sitting 97, 98 instead of a hundred, if that keeps him healthy, maybe it doesn't keep him healthy. I don't know, but I'd probably take my chance with it. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, I think that that's an article that I want to write or I want one of you two to write is like, what if we regressed DeGrom's arsenal down what are his comps? Is it just like previous self, or is it someone yeah, else, I, like on a pitch-to-pitch basis? I don't think you can project the health just because he's throwing slower. Um, but I mean, it makes sense intuitively. I think. I mean, you could do that with uh, Chamberlain's um, Alex Chamberlain of of uh, Rotographs. Uh, his his pitch comp. And pitcher comp and hitter comp, <laughs> but not the hitter comp in this case, uh, leaderboard. Also, I, uh, to me, that just seems like a silly take about DeGrom getting greedy. Like, is he supposed to slow his arm speed down? Like, I get, you know, you can, you can not throw max effort, but all like, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know that he said what he's doing. So it, it feels, strange to um i guess make assumptions there um yeah i don't know it feels like a weird take to 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 say that he got 
too greedy. Like, I don't even really know where to where to start with that logic. Well, I can't speak to that, but I do think the increased velo is. I think the substance there is still right, though. I mean, again, whether it was intentional or not, whether it's greedy or not, is a thing that I am not going to try to speak to either. But I just can't help but wonder what if he had just stayed there. You know, he was a 200 inning workhorse for a few years before there, before for three straight years. You know, before, and then was on pace in 2020 before things started to get a little bit, a little bit shaky. So I don't know. I just kind of wonder what would have happened if things might have gone differently if he had stayed there. Just because of the way that Velo, I mean, the only thing that really has been proven to correlate successfully to injuries is Velo. So, you know, it's, you can't say, I don't know what his methods are and, you know, how he actually approaches things or not, but we're always going to wonder. Yeah, we'll definitely, definitely wonder. I mean, his mechanics have gotten better across the board. And one thing I can't, I don't remember exactly where the quote is, but. He said that he's just trying to move smoother. This, I think this was after his initial velo bump, and maybe that was 21 now. Uh, I know that he's had plenty of velo bumps, but when he went from like 96 to 98, 99. Um, but yeah, I guess, I don't know. Hopefully he figures it out at some point. But let's switch gears to the Mariners City Connect uniforms. Uh, there, there were takes. <laughs> there were takes. I missed Mikey. most of those too. I'm kind of interested to hear. Yeah, no, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot on Twitter. I think, Mikey, do you want to talk about it first? Since I don't know, it's close to home, and I thought you had a funny tweet. I think you said something like, "The only thing that the so the City Connect uniforms are supposed to have to, like they're supposed to relate to the city in some way, and these do not, right, Mikey?" This is so funny. It's like, okay, so. For people who haven't seen them, um, they use the colors of the original Seattle MLB team, the Pilots, who played one season and then left um, in 1969, became the Brewers. Um, so that's that's one way in which they're ostensibly connected to the city. Um, they have a patch on the sleeve that... Um, it says PNW with uh, Mount Tahoma, or you know maybe better known as Mount Rainier, but Mount Tahoma uh, that represents the Seattle Rainiers, um, and it is donned in sundown gold to signify the energy and exuberance of the region's great outdoors. The leaf <laughs> embellishments, which memorably appeared on the Pilots' caps are incorporated on the edge of the patch to honor the region's maritime and aviation industries, which throw up my fucking mouth. Boeing's, Boeing's number one <laughs> profits are, are military, uh, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so that's the main thing for me, is that these aren't connected to the city. And I think, actually... I think Patrick, I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm not going to try and say it. At at um, Baseball Prospectus said, like, <clears throat> talked about the City Connect jerseys and, and, and talked about how, you know, teams were struggling with it. And 
talked about how it kind of reveals like how I, I guess he says it often reveals just how unconnected to civic spirit baseball really is. Uh, several teams aren't even in the cities they purport to connect to and others lack a real cultural footprint. Um, and so like, <clears throat> and actually I really like this line is the primary method by which most teams interact with their city is threatening to move unless they're given friendly tax deals. Uh, the fact that the athletics are scheduled to rolls roll theirs out next year is a bit of very dark comedy. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not connected to the city. Um, the, you know, they, they tried to connect the, the bills and the, the black pants to like the Seattle steelheads, um, which I think was the main kind of thing where people are like black pants are super ugly. And I don't like necessarily disagree. It was supposed to be like a, a nod to, yeah, like, you know, they were a Negro league team, um, in the forties, but also like, it's really a slap in the face for like, I live in the most historically black neighborhood in Seattle. The central district was once, 80% black, I think in the 70s. It is now about 10 to 15%. Um so I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing is is like A, I think the jerseys mostly look pretty good. If they would have went with gray pants or white pants, these would have been, I think, pretty amazing. Uh they definitely went too safe. And yeah, they're not connected to the city. Like, and and as Patrick was saying, like, I, I think that's the issue is I don't know what they would have done because the team itself isn't connected to the city. And actually like the all-star team or the all-star game is going to be held here in a couple months. And they're like actively working, you know, to, to sweep houseless people in the area to pretty up the area in preparation for it. So I think, you know, I, I made a joke about this and I Photoshopped like a picture of like one of those gentrification blueprint kind of like, minimalist house houses over like a mariner's uniform i was like oh i don't know about these but like there there is not a way that the mariners could have done this right culturally because they're not connected to the city they're not they're not an important part of the city um is basically my take that was much more nuanced than i was expecting thank you <laughs> Oh, well. uh, yeah, I'm out here being. I'm out here thinking like fire or not. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe the 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 kind of short version is like I think the Mariners, especially now, have done more negative things to the city of Seattle and the Soto neighborhood than positive things. So that's my take. Hayes, do you have any takes? Do you think they're fire or not? Mm, they struck me as kind of eh. Like, if there was... The, the thing is, if there was some kind of actual connection there, then I could have bought it. It could have made sense. Especially now knowing that there really isn't. Which I probably could have suspected anyway. Honestly, it's... Eh... It's really not. I, most honestly, they've most of these city connects have been so disappointing. There's been really 
like three or four of them that are worth worth keeping around. I'm not even a huge fan of, of the White Sox ones, which everybody seems to, which everybody not seems to, everyone does love. I'm kind of the exception. I'm a little bit of a hater there. It's um, yeah. I don't think I think the dynamic you just described, Mikey, is um, very very true. Clearly in this case, but also kind of speaks to a broader, yeah, league wide, sport wide issue because. I suspect that Seattle is not the only place where that uh, that that disconnect is. It's a major factor, and also makes for shitty uniforms. Yeah, that'd be interesting if someone would do a league-wide review of that. Because I'm not I'm not sure. I'm also assuming the same thing as you. Um, I don't know if the Yankees uh, allegedly the Yankees are going to do it, but I don't I don't really know what it's those are going to look like. Yankees and Mets. I haven't done one. Well, the Yankees don't do any alternates. Right. At least the Mets do. That's true. true. But yeah, they're they're like one of they're one of my favorites. I think, like Mikey already said this, but white pants or gray pants would have made more sense aesthetically. But I think that this is the type of jersey that will look cooler outside of a baseball uniform, anyways. Hmm, that's an interesting thought slash way of putting it i, I tend yeah. to not think of baseball uniforms like that but <laughs> yeah, yeah i, I guess think, <laughs> i think the full jersey is going to look better on the field like i think that the black pants might and i don't i won't know until you know we see them but i think and actually we'll see them i think on friday um i think they might look okay while playing with them but i think that in the photo shoot they they do not look good yeah, I think the the lighting in the photo shoot was just pretty weird too. And another thing that I have that I don't like about baseball photo shoots is that the players always wear f- fresh hats, like literally just out of the wrapping or whatever. And that's just not what a hat should look like on a baseball no, player look, or in general. They so They're awesome. just too flat. Like they don't they don't fit the right way yet. They haven't molded uh, to the head. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the article spotlight. Each of us are going to talk about something yeah. we wrote in the last few weeks. Let's, and let's, let's take it. Let's take an ad break here, just so I can remember it. One, mm-hmm. I send this over to Brian. Um, all right, break for ad. Let's go. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Hayes. Um, when our editor Andrew Mearns recommended this topic to you, I was actually I was like, "Ooh, that's that's a really cool idea." Uh, I wonder what you're gonna make of this. So, go ahead. Yeah. So it's just it's funny writing at a Yankees site as a non-Yankees fan. Um, I like the Yankees and the Mets plenty. I actually probably like the Mets more, but Yankees fandom. And Yankees fan mentality is just such another... It's a different planet from the one that most of us regular baseball fans occupy. Uh, and it's it's pretty entertaining to just watch the up and downs of a season uh, with a, a smart group of Yankees fans who are nonetheless Yankees fans. So things are things are, are tough for the Yankees right now. They're a, a horrendous 16 and 15, um, which is, you know, not great. Uh also not terrible, but are they are they still in last place in the East, or is another someone else passing? Yes, yes, they are. They're still in last place in the AL East because everyone else, the Rays, are unbeatable and so on and so forth. Uh, so it has been a rough few weeks in Yankees land. They've lost something like um, I don't know nine out of twelve or nine out of thirteen or fourteen. It's been after a pretty nice start, it has been a tough stretch. So I, I decided to be a bit of a shithead and, and uh, <laughs> bring some perspective to, to Yankees fan world by saying, you know what, guys? Things could be worse. Let's take a look at the AL Central here. You know, and it's, um, you know, it, it really, looking at the Sox and the Yankees does side-by-side side and constantly, as I do, does a lot to highlight exactly what's right about the Yankees what the Yankees do well even in a bad year that still makes them a serious organization um so for all the talk there was over it's kind of funny that there was all this talk about Brian Reynolds and the Yankees over the winter he was Yankees fans one of their number one targets I would say um and there were some there was a little bit of of smoke I feel like in in the press as far as trade rumors went but I'm not sure uh he signed you know, his $100 million deal. The Sox are now one of three teams along with the Miami Marlins and the, or not the Mar- Marlins, excuse me, the Kansas City Royals and the Oakland Athletics as the only teams to never yet issue a nine-figure deal. Uh, the highest contract, biggest contract in franchise history belongs to Andrew Benintendi, <laughs> who the Yankees chose not to back although they wanted to they weren't going to give him that deal uh you know so just example number one of the yankees are still staying afloat because they have guys like garrett cole because they have guy when they don't have aaron judge anymore 
but at the time they did and they paid him they spend their money you know they don't spend quite like they used to but just everything every single reason that the white Sox are where they are everything they've done wrong is a prime example of the things that the yankees do right at least some of the time you know the the white Sox spent high draft picks for three four years in a row on first baseman <laughs> they have you know, Zach Collins, Jake Berger, Berger, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, all taken between 2016 and 2019. And if you want to uh, include other first round picks and bump it up to 2020, you have Zach Birdie and Garrett Crochet, two two relief pitchers. Uh, you know, the Yankees are partially in a position they are now. And when I say in a position they are now, I don't mean in last place. I mean, still 16 and 15, even though everything has gone wrong. You know, because they are continually getting value out of late first round draft picks. They are, you know, popping less highly touted players in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round, and even further down, and actually um, using a coherent player development operation, which doesn't always work necessarily, but uh, it produces enough major leaguers consistently that you can both fill holes internally, you know, with guys like Anthony, Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza. Oswaldo Cabrera hasn't produced this year, but, you know, you can at least rely on him. Um, to be to be a major leaguer going into the season at least, and uh, you know the Frankie Montas and Scott Efros deals haven't worked out, but the fact is you've traded four major league starting pitchers in the last year, and you still probably got some more some more in the pipeline. Um, none of these things are things the White Sox do consistently. So why, when you look at you know two teams that have the bottom fallout in terms of injuries, in terms of a lot of shit just going wrong at the same time? Uh, you know, the Yankees are going to stay afloat. They might be an 88-win team instead of a 100-win team. Uh, they're not going to be a 70-75-win team, which is what it looks like the White Sox are, are going to be right now. You know, when the White Sox do spend money in free agency, they don't spend it very wisely. The Yankees and Brian Cashman have their shares of miss in free agency, for sure. But you look at mid-level deals like Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMahieu, um, bringing back Nestor Cortez. These are all things that, you know, are not necessarily easy calls to make, and they've all worked out, and those are all things that are keeping the Yankees competitive right now while everything else is going wrong. So, I don't know. Serious organizations go spend money on Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge or Bryce Harper and Manny Machado once in a while. And unserious organizations balk at the chances to close on those players and spread money around to players like Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman and shitheads like Mike Clevenger. You know, it is a it's it's all about allocation of resources, man. And even in the Yankees worst year like they're having right now, and there's a reason that their worst year is what they're having right now. Yeah. I would love them to some extent. There's a hater part of me that would love for them to be a sub 500 team for a while, but I don't think it's going to happen because their organization is set up to have such a high floor and I hate it. I respect it, but uh, I wish, I wish we had it in Chicago. That's yeah. This, this is definitely like maybe not first percentile outcome, but it's like bottom decile right now. Like this is probably the worst it's going to get for the Yankees. Sorry, I had ice in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, there's only, you know, Aaron Judge can only get hurt once. Giancarlo Stanton can only get hurt once. Um, you still have Harrison Bader coming back from injuries, obviously. And more importantly, you have 
minor league players who are already performing or who will likely, you know, you'll have some breakout performers too, who can get you other good players at the trade deadline. That's what a good, like, kind of self-propelling player development system does. And say what you want about the Yankees, they do that better than probably all but maybe four or five teams in the entire league. And that's always going to give you a very high competitive competitive floor. Yeah. And that's and then you're seeing you're seeing what that means right now. When you're still 16 and 15, even though all this shit's going, you know, bananas. Garrett Cole bravely answers the question, what if you were the only good pitcher or well-performing <laughs> pitcher on your team? <laughs> he hasn't given up a home run. Nope, he has not. I, I've i picked him to win the Cy Young for three straight years. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so purely, purely on the logic of he's too good to not win one sooner or later, and I'll look good when it does. So, you know, this might be... This might be the one, man. I don't know. He's so good. <laughs> I love me some Garrett Cole. Marley, look at my numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marley. We we missed that one. Um, but Mikey, do you want to <laughs> Let's uh let's not talk about Marley. Uh, so a few episodes ago you guys both had a little bit of a dispute. It it wasn't really a dispute if I'm being honest, but <laughs> it was about Nick Lodolo, and you, you, each of you were on one side of it, and then Mikey ended up writing about him. I did. Um, yeah, it, it's really interesting because he, you know, he started off the year um, three games, you know, racking up. I'm trying to count twenty one strikeouts in his first two outings, and then his third outing was was um, was solid you know and he faced the the phillies twice faced pittsburgh uh once then he faced the rays and they took a big dump on him. <laughs> <A> big <laughs> one. he gave up eight earned runs uh and 12 hits uh God. over four and two thirds yeah faced the rangers next gave up uh six earned over four and then just like faced Oakland and gave up two home runs again. So that is now over his last three starts. And and Oakland was after I wrote him up. That is now seven home runs over 13.2 innings. I don't know what the math is there, but that's something like, actually, why don't I just, <laughs> why don't I just have fan graphs do it for me? That is 4.61 home runs per nine over his, last three outings um the strikeouts are just not there anymore like if you look at k per nine they are but this is why i don't like k per nine um but by like strikeout percentage he's pretty average it's not walking a lot of guys but that's because <laughs> he's serving up dingers um and so yeah i decided to write him up um essentially wrote that, yeah, like one of the most compelling things to me about Nicoladola last year, and I, I plan to write about him last year, um, was that he creates a really awkward angle to the plate for hitters. It makes me think of like Andrew Peeney, uh, where, you know, he's he's 6'6", and yet he throws or he threw from a lower release height than 82% of all starting pitchers, which means like if 
if high is high and low is low, he ranked in like the 18th percentile in release height. That's really hard to do if you're a tall pitcher, which means, you know, you have to do that via extension or low arm angle. Um, he, his release point has risen. Um, and so I think that's made him a little bit less of an outlier in terms of, um, uh, horizontal or, or release point in terms of a uh, vertical release point. Uh, and even if it's made that angle wider to the plate. Um, and so, yeah, I think like the, the fastball shape was already not good. Like his, his, his vertical approach angle has dropped from 4.8 degrees to 5.8. And actually I forgot to put negative, negative 4.8 in the article. Um, but his his shape was already not good, and now it's gotten worse. And I think that's part of the reason why he struggled. And I think the other thing is he's really leaned more on his his slider and four seam this year, and de-emphasized his sinker. And so what I wrote about was like, if you're throwing out of a low three quarters arm slot, and you get a lot of side to side movement, you. And, and, you know, like your curveball sweeps a lot. He calls it a curveball. I might call it a slider or sweeper. It doesn't matter. Um, you probably want to have a, a pretty horizontally oriented, you know, pitch mix. And now that he's de-emphasized the sinker, he doesn't. So now he's left with a good breaking ball and, you know, a, a not good, or at least I think not good. I think the stuff plus grades are on this. 14 fastball are pretty good um fastball and so the curveball is really special like that that this is what you want to center you know your repertoire around and so i think if you're taking a fastball and you want to throw something that pairs well with it it's it's something that moves side to side it's a sinker um he's working his curveball glove side a lot and i think i think he needs to to work the the sinker off of it so I basically just wrote, you know, I, I kind of specified in the article, like if you want to mirror, uh, if your goal is, is, is spin mirroring to, to take something, a fastball and, and mirror it off the, uh, the, the curveball, the sinker is the one that's closer to 180 degrees of, of spin axis differential and, uh, six hours or like six, I don't know how quite to say this, but like, um, the difference between like his fastball and curveball being six hours on a clock. Um, that's the sinker. Um, and so, you know, like he had, it has gotten lit up and, and hit for home runs. The sinker has, um, but it's by far the best weapon he has in terms of throwing strikes since he's thrown the sweepier version of his curveball, which happened in early August of last year. Um, and I think he's just kind of left some like too many center cut and like he has good command. So I, I don't think that will continue to be an issue, but essentially all that is all that to say is like, it was probably noise in the beginning of the year. I think he should throw more sinkers. I think he might've tried at some point, but he should really consider throwing a cutter. Not only because I think it would tunnel well with his sweeper and like, if you're looking for a precedent, like Graham Ashcraft is not the same, but as someone who has shown you can throw 
a slider and cutter, basically, you know, exclusively. Um, and I also kind of think if he added some cut to his fastball, like it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen. In fact, it might be good, but that is maybe besides the point. So I think we're all kind of calling for a, a, a Nick Lodolo breakout after his first couple starts. And, and I thought that maybe he was actually, you know, that was happening before I looked into it. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a very long form version of saying he's just made his, his, his pitch mix more non-optimal. I haven't watched him all that much this year. Um, I watched, I think the only time I've really watched him beginning to end was the Field of Dreams game. And I was like, ooh, this dude's funky. But I can see why a slight change can negatively impact him so much. I feel like... Yeah. Oh, you can go, Zach. No, I was about to say something dumb from the gut. Just like... Yeah, I, I feel like pitchers with extreme horizontal approaches are i don't know quite the right right way to phrase this but just more susceptible to things going wrong i don't know it's uh it feels like when you see guys coming out to the side who are really showing you the ball for a long time even though if it's coming from a even if it's coming from a bit, bit of a funky angle, when those pitches aren't tunneling right or when the location is off and you can count on things being over the plate more than more than they should be, they just get teed off on. I don't know. That's that's just a total total anecdote there. But just you, you hear no. what I'm saying there a little bit? Yeah. I, I feel, you know, that's it comes from a lot of watching. I can't help but see a lot of Chris Sale every time I... I, I watch Lodolo, you know, and it's not, but it's not, it's not just him thinking about like right-handers who come from kind of an extreme, um, you know, not quite to the sidearm level, but I, I had some off the top of my head and I can't remember anymore. So you know, that's, I think that's, that's a good comp. Um, because Chris Sale is really the only other lefty that like, you know, like the only sinker that runs more than Wadolo's is sales. Um, I think, so I think you're correct in, in that assessment. Um, there's a couple things I'm kind of thinking of. I think low slot guys are less susceptible to their pitch specs changing in terms of forcing fastballs because its value is derived off of the vertical approach angle, and that's not going to change much unless you lose a ton of velo or lose a ton of spin efficiency, which doesn't really happen. Um, And so there's that. And then the other thing is, yeah, if you have a lower or wider release, you are showing the ball sooner to opposite-handed hitters and later to same-handed hitters so there is going to be a wider platoon split and we know that that happens and we know that's why guys like karen jack and eric swanson don't really have platoon splits in fact i think eric swanson is running has run you know reverse platoon splits and then the last thing i think i'll say is when you think about 
a sinker or a changeup, and you think about the 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 spin based and the spin spin based uh, movement direction, which is like the actual or the the movement direction that you'd expect versus the actual movement direction. I think about I know this isn't like circles don't have corners, but I think about twelve o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock, and nine o'clock being the most significant areas in terms of where you're shifting your movement direction. Because if a pitcher does have a sinker that is like the the movement direction is at the actual movement direction is at three o'clock and then it shifts up a little bit to like 245 like that's that's gonna pretty significantly change their movement um and that's not really a thing with the higher slot guys because um they're just inherently you know they're they're uh farther away from the poles i guess from like 12 and and three you know if you're looking at righties so i guess that's just what comes up for me and yeah. <laughs> Should I talk about my article now? <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah, you had Please. the most interesting. You had the, the easily, easily the most interesting article of all of us, honestly. So. Oh, thanks. I, uh, I, I can't speak for you, Mike. But the, better than mine, the, for sure. Depends on the perspective. Um, but I had tweeted about Lars Newt Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Lars Newt Bar and Alec Thomas like minutes apart because I was watching them and their videos came up and I had remembered watching them in the WBC and they just looked different um, like compared to then and so I was like oh maybe I should just write about this and, like that seems like a good idea but then I thought how can I formulate this into an article I, uh, and then as I was doing my research I tried looking for someone else or finding someone else who had the similarity to them and then Matt Olson popped up. Uh, and basically the, the similarity between especially Newbar and Olson is that they simplified their load, whether it be in their hands or their legs. They just made it easier to get into their launch position. So like the position they're at a peak leg lift, like peak leg kick. And Olsen shifted his hands from further away to his body to closer to his body. He changed the angle at which he was tipping his bat during his stance. That let him get his bat on plane earlier and smoother. And then Newbar, who hit the ball really hard in the WBC, he hit it on the ground too much because he was super wide. He narrowed out relative to last year. And so I guess when he got to Cardinals camp, they were like, hey, why do you look different? Or maybe he noticed himself. And he ended up. Um, going back to his 2022 version and came back from his injury that he had earlier in the year and just started raking immediately, hitting the ball hard, not hitting it in the ground as much as he was in WBC. And then with Alec Thomas, he looked awful in the WBC. His body was moving all over the place. He was getting blown away by like low to mid-90s fastballs and still is, to be fair. He's still not hitting well. But he went back to a version of himself from last year, from um, before when he was in the minor leagues. And he definitely looks better than he does in the WBC. That said, still doesn't look very good. 
as a big leaguer. Like his WRC plus is well below a hundred, I believe, even though he's hitting the ball pretty hard. And I ended up just using those similarities and comps as a way of saying, hey, maybe Alec Thomas should just quiet things down like Matt Olson and Lars Nupar did, whether it be with his leg kick, which is like a sort of like circular motion. It's like up and then it's in and then it's down and then it's out. Um, and then also he has a double hinge, like a double hinge twitch with his bat which i didn't write uh, write about much in the article but i thought about plenty while i was doing the research and funny enough craig goldstein your editor mikey like tweeted at me like hey did you think about this and all i was like yeah i actually thought about it a lot but i didn't put in the article for some reason and it had me thinking like hitters fall somewhere between javier baez and Giancarlo Stanton on the movement spectrum, right? Like, you can just pick your bat up and put it down and swing, or you can, like, do the salsa as you're getting ready for the pitch to come in, like Javier Baez does. He literally moves every part of his body. Actually, I just saw a highlight of his from today where he had a home run, and I was like, how in the world did you even make contact? Like, literally every single part of his body was moving. It, it's Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but I, I thought... If your str- like if your baseline of strength is already so strong and above league average like Alec Thomas's is, then why wouldn't you just quiet things down and make it easier on your body to get your bat path on plane, not only early but just smoothly, so that you're able to repeat those motions as you get into, um, as your bat is entering the zone. Because I mean, if you're Unless you're really, really good at repeating loud motions like Josh Donaldson was years ago, then uh, I don't know. I feel like it just makes sense for a struggling hitter especially to just quiet things down and put their body in a better position to get into their optimal mechanical form like Maddelson and Alec and Lars Newbar have. Yeah, I yeah, I, I really love this um article and it i think essie and i actually like we talked about this with jared kelnick and and we you know we went to a mets game in in september and i think the cool thing about hitting and pitching i think the cool thing about baseball is it's not cookie cutter um and things that don't work for some hitters work for other hitters and you know vice versa um and so, like, you know, some guys need some movement in their hands uh, pre-pitch. Like, some guys don't. And I think, like, generally speaking, like, yeah, uh, especially if you don't need it, like, you probably should work to simplify your load. Um, I think the guy, you know, when I first started really thinking about this was Gene Segura in 2015, 16. Um, he essentially, yeah, like, just to, to reduce some of that the extra noise in, in his hands and like um yeah getting to his launch position like he just lowered his hands and that made it so rather than like going you know down up down he was just basically he was already down and just ready to essentially fire his hands to the ball um and so i think the guy that i think of rather than javi Baez, is is mitch hanniger has such complex movement and his swing that 
probably works for like yeah that's a good example like like huge movements huge huge uh barrel tip huge leg kick huge stride and like rolls over on his ankle and i don't know i see like there's probably fewer than half a dozen guys that could make that work and yet like obviously mitch chaniger is a very talented hitter um and is probably a guy that actually like simplifying his load would probably be a bad thing so yeah i think um yeah this is just a no you can go no finish finish uh, th- I think this is a concept I've, I've thought a lot about, um, I mean, for almost like 10 years now, uh, when it comes to hitters and obviously like, I, I think I'm stronger at evaluating pitchers and hitters, but, um, you can just tell too, just looking at a hitter, like when it is working, like even if the outcome yeah. is not a good one, like you can tell when, they have simplified their mechanics in a good mm-hmm. way. And I think, you know, we see that with Jared Connick this year. Um, he always looked uncomfortable last year and like, just not like it, it just looked mechanical. Whereas now it looks pretty natural. So yeah, I thought this was great. It's it's funny that you say you can usually just tell when things are off. Cause I literally said that last week and I was like, sometimes people don't feel like super comfortable making claims about mechanics, but it's usually pretty intuitive. If you watch enough baseball, you can just see that something looks weird. But now you're making me think, uh, I kind of wish that I used someone like Haniger instead because mm. by using Javier Baez as the example in the article, I think I immediately made readers think that more movement's a bad thing. I should have said like Mitch Haniger mm. or Josh Donaldson for people to think that mm. it can still be a good thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it relative to um there there aren't very many there aren't very many ways in which golf is actually as as a sport more progressive than baseball, but um in terms of mechanics and swing mechanics, something that I remember being told when I was like at the driving range just messing around, I was in like seventh grade by all the old heads would was something like, um you know, it really it it doesn't matter how it looks like as long as you get the club head to the right spot at contact, you know? And I think the same principle does, does apply to baseball where there are, like you said, to your point, Mikey, not everything is cookie cutter. There are, that's, that's what's beautiful about it. There are, you know, at the point of contact, depending on what the pitch and location is, you generally want to be in the same place, but all of the stuff that's happening before your actual swing, you know, if, if you have a ton of, if you if you are like you said a Javi Baez uh, who has <laughs> just a very very quick body and um, is capable of of still getting to the right spot even with all of that movement, then great. If you're someone you know like then then it doesn't matter if it's in places like with you know modern day Donaldson and Hanniger like you're saying. Well, okay, this is a situation where that movement is actually an impediment towards getting to the spot that you need to be at. There is a point where you need to be at the same spot, no matter what your swing is, but uh, it's just much, much later than, than, than most of us think. I think SD, when you say like, you can see when something is off, I, I almost wonder if like, that's what you're talking about when you're looking at like the point of contact and the follow through and things that are happening at the point of the pitch where there are like a limited number of avenues 
towards solid contact, towards a good outcome, and you need to be in those spots. And a lot of the times, you know, Javi Baez can do all that, and it doesn't stop him from getting to those spots. Someone like Donaldson, Hanniger, not so much. And who, who I was actually thinking of when you were talking, um, I, I want to hear what you have to say about uh, Eloy Jimenez, who is, I think, doesn't have a ton of movement, uh, but he has kind of weird movement, and he definitely, he's someone who I think, based on just who he is as a hitter and also like physical stature and body type should probably even move more towards Stanton on the scale of just do, just do less, just do less and impact the ball because, you know, he has top tier max exit velos. Eloy is pulling the ball more than ever. His pull rate has jumped like 12% this year. He's pulling the ball more than half of the time. And he was almost half of the time. And he was hitting pretty well without that last year, but he cannot stop hitting the ball on the ground. He has like a 58% ground ball rate or something like that. And it's, uh, you know, he's, he's if he can just elevate it a little bit, he will could be Stanton-esque. Uh, but for various reasons, he has difficulty, you know, getting his hands to a place at the point of contact where he's getting, you know, the right approach angle where he's going to impact the ball and get it in the air rather than, rather than you know, uh, rather than just hitting the top half, no matter where the pitch is, and and hitting it on the ground 110 miles an hour right at somebody. So he's someone who I think would be ripe for that kind of analysis. It's a great, great, great topic for sure. I have I have a, a, a maybe a challenge for for SD. Um, I would love a follow up article. Yeah. Called on hitters complicating their loads. Uh huh. Yeah, we're thinking about the same exact thing. I'm gonna go yeah. pitch that. Like right when this is done, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Inside I, the writers I, room. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I, I'm happy that we thought of that because now I'm like, hmm. Uh, the one of the first hitters that comes to my mind is Brent Rooker. He's hitting the the shit out of the ball this year, and he's moving more. Like he's he's pretty. He he's moving more. He's moving in a different direction. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna do that. Thanks, thanks, Mikey. Let's get it. Imagination. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Um, should we move on to good. our like la- our last notes on our our fave teams? <sighs> yeah, sure. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> Two in a row. Should I? Should I Are we all we, sad? Uh, no, I, I feel great. I I great. I'm okay, looking go. at Hayes because uh, yeah, maybe Hayes. I, we should we should leave off on a positive note. Uh, maybe I'll go last and Hayes okay, first. So we can Hayes, kinda... me, Mikey. Yeah. That yeah. Sense. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the White Sox have a longer active winning streak than the Yankees. I think um, <laughs> we've won two in a row, two walk offs. Yeah, uh, after lost, mm. after having lost ten straight, they, uh, you know, the the Sox are confirmed back. Everybody, all of those sell Lit. the team chance, you know, just history, history. Um, you know, of course the the fan base is there's it's like the overlap between the portion of the fan base that really 
that love Tony and still thinks that like Jerry in the front office should be absolved of things and that it's on the players. And they're all the same people who think that like Luis Robert Jr. and Yoan Moncada and even Tim Anderson are are the problem on the South Side. And I'll let you put two and two together about what some of the common threads there are. But uh God, it's free these players. Free these players from this shithole organization with Shithole fans, myself included. <laughs> Luis Robert Jr. would be bloody 40-40 if he was on the Dodgers or on the Astros right now. You know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, what would what would Aloy Jimenez be doing on a team that could actually get him to put the ball in the air? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. But White Sox, they've won two in a row. And I just want to see these players do well, man, because these shitheads are not putting them in a position to succeed, and it makes me really sad. Then you get all the worst elements out there who, you know, ah. want to want to put put it all on their shoulders, and that's that makes it even that makes an already not fun dynamic even as a fan even even less fun. So, yeah, that's that's where we're at. He's sort of already put into words how I'm feeling about the Yankees right now. Like they're they're not playing well. They're playing pretty poorly, and it, this this might be the year where like they're really fighting for a playoff spot and maybe they don't even make it depending on how the health turns out but um they haven't really been fun to watch i've hardly watched them over the last week or so usually i just try not to watch them when i know they're not going to play well so basically if willie calhoun's batting between like four to six then i know not to tune in um but garrett cole looks really good i wrote about him and got shouted out on the yankees broadcast that was pretty cool um and Anthony Volpe are both looking really good. I know Volpe's numbers like aren't completely there yet, but he like I'm telling you, if you just watch him play for like a week, you you realize that oh this he's just he's just, he's really really good. He does everything well, and even his fielding looks awesome right now. He's 75th percentile in OAA right now, which is incredible given that even myself and many many others said that he's probably a second baseman. But I I'm happy that I was wrong about that. He's definitely a shortstop. Positivity time. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, the, uh, I think the Mariners, well, they don't have the worst record of all of us, but uh, <laughs> there was just an article that came out at BP about how the DH is just a black hole. Um, Teoscar Hernandez is, is struggling again. Ty France is, and, and Eugenio Suarez are, they're all kind of slumping. Julio Rodriguez you know, has some back tightness. So like things aren't great on the hitting side, but they are number one in pitcher war. And Bryce Miller just got called up and looked just, I mean, it was against the A's, but pretty insane last night. Um, just, yeah, got called up and, and really has been struggling in double A this year and went six innings, only two hits, one earned, no no walks, and ten strikeouts. And I think looking past the the results has instantly one of the best fastballs thrown by a starting pitcher in MLB. Um, just went and and kind of ran the numbers and like in terms of spin, like raw spin to velo ratio, like only two starters have a higher 
ratio than him. And those are like Matt Boyd and Domingo Herman, who, and, and like Nexus Kyle Freeland uh, in terms of four seamers. I wouldn't argue that any of them have um, a better fastball than than Bryce Miller. And, and really like something that you take into account here is like spin efficiency, active spin. Like these aren't really high efficiency guys, whereas Bryce Miller is about 90%. Um, the numbers I've seen have been very encouraging in terms of the stuff. Um, I don't have access to the data yet, but um, 21 inches of carry or induced vertical break, which is really, really insane from a 5.8 release and is probably, I would need to actually pull this up and, and maybe actually I'll just do that right now. But that's like, I mean, it's pretty unprecedented. The only example I can think of a pitcher who does something like that is Christian Javier, who we know has a very good uh, fastball. And he even he is 18.3 IVB. So the fastball is instantly, yeah, one of one of the best thrown by by a starter. And I think I mean he threw it like 80% of the time last night. Um I think the secondary stuff will will catch up, but based on what I saw last night, he's throwing a cutter, he's throwing a gyro slider, and he's throwing a sweeper. Um, and also froze a hitter with the one changeup that he threw last night that he just left center cut, but like I think just broke in a way that the hitter didn't expect. So aside from Matt Brash, this is like the most excited i was to ever watch a start and i actually didn't get to watch it so i'll probably run it back today or, or tomorrow but uh bryce miller he is extremely good he makes me think about how prospect people in general should really take value in fastballs that are like super super good Cause that's just gonna play in the majors right away, right? Like it's not it's not something that's gonna take a while to develop. Like if the fastball's got really good qualities, then that pitcher is going to have that right away. There isn't going to be a learning period or something about how they should use it. Like nah, you can just fill that up in the zone. It's gonna be really good. And I know that he was like bottom half of most prospect lists, and that was probably because of lack of secondary command and all that type of stuff but i don't know i feel like i'd be more confident in just throwing him up way higher on a prospect list just because of that yeah i don't know if i if i have anything to add but i mean he can basically just throw his his fastball like it just doesn't matter it's kind of like Garrett cole like you know you can throw your fastball easily 60 percent of the time and and other stuff the rest of the time and like i I don't know i don't know what you do you know with with Mm -hmm. his stuff and uh the command is is definitely good enough um people are kind of complaining about his fastball filling up the center of the zone but i really don't think it it matters and i also think part of it is just debuting and playing against the a's and just knowing that you can do that Mm -hmm. yeah definitely Mm -hmm. Um, actually, one I I write Mike. I don't know if you if you know this, but I write like an at bat of the week article for the Yankees each week. I've done it for probably a year now. Yeah, probably a year. I think I debuted it at the beginning of last May, and in it I talk about how like pitchers who 
just spam the same pitch over and over again need to understand if that like why that works against one hitter and not another hitter and usually i'm talking about that in the context of a hitter but like i think bryce miller is a good person to talk about that and garrett cole to talk about that in the context of a pitcher it's like yeah i mean i can probably just keep throwing this over and over again knowing that a hitter just can't adjust to this you know like yeah of course they yeah technically they can but it's gonna be damn hard isn't it like it's the worst and i I gotta jump after this but um i think i was thinking that about that when i was watching kopech start yesterday where in the top of the first um he came out against the twins just spotting the fastball beautifully and he's another guy who's got a four seamer whose traits are good enough where he was known for you know touching 103 in the minors and stuff like that. But if he's 96, 95, 96, 97 with the fastball, he's good. If he's spotting it up, they can't hit it for many of the same many of the same reasons as um some of the guys we just mentioned. He came out yesterday just beautifully painting the letters in the top corners of the zone with the fastball. He got, I think, like seven of his first eight pitches were fastballs. They were all either called strikes, swinging strikes, or foul balls. Um, two strikeouts on it. And... He gets to O one on Carlos Correa, and um, sorry, he gets to O two on Carlos Correa with two fastballs, looking very good. Like he's obviously not seeing it both in the zone, and then he just hangs him a seventy-eight mile an hour curveball right down the plate, and, and Andrew Benintendi has to go take away a home run to keep it scoreless. Like, it's I love it when pitchers have that stuff, and it just creates these hilarious moments where you're like. Why the hell did you do anything else? Just keep throwing it. Because <laughs> most yeah. of the time, most of the time, you're like, okay, you got to mix it up or a little bit. They're gonna sit uh, sit on it. But that's when you know you got some kind of special stuff. When you're just like, just keep, just keep, keep throwing it. <laughs> well, we can uh, back. I believe I can chat it. Oh man, I was gonna say something and I forgot. I don't know. Bye-bye. <laughs>